Welcome to Infinite Conversations, a podcast about art and life. This is Marco V. Morelli, and my guest in this episode is the philosopher Bonita Roy. This is part two of our conversation, entitled Making the Move from It to We, a Manifesto for Open Participatory Organizations. And I recommend you listen to part one first, if you haven't already. We explore the question, how can organizations support our authentic and meaningful engagement in work we actually care about? My collaborator, Ali Rabinovich, starts off this part of the talk, and then Benita and I join in. Benita's manifesto is published on medium.com, where you'll find it under her user profile, at Bonita Roy. For more information, see the episode page for this talk on infiniteconversations.fm. That's also where you can support this podcast with a one-time or monthly donation and help us build a creative gift economy for social poetics and planetary thought. And it's where you can join the conversation. Just follow the button to the topic on the Infinite Conversations forum. All right, here we go. What was the mood that you were in that birthed the OPO manifesto? Five years ago, um, due to the collapse of the economy, I left my career after 33 years and took a severance pay that got me through the first year and decided to um, really dedicate my life. What does the tagline of all the Lore Insight Center says? What is possible that's never been possible before? And it was clear to me that this process was a collective process or a group process. So um, I did some experiences in group process and I started, as I said before, seeing what was written about organizational experiments, organizational design, group facilitation process, organizational psychology. Uh, that brought me into researching the origins of civilization and symbolic and synthetic ways we look at systems and systems theory, the changes in system. I mean, and so it, it, in February of 2015, so just a little over a year ago, 65-page theoretic work of nonfiction that covered the evolutionary anthropology and the neuroscience and the organizational psychology of contemporary group practice and how the new zeitgeist was bringing that beyond, for example, Keegan's theory of individual leadership and all this stuff. And um, it was very hard for me because I was also committed to practicing the theory, right? So I didn't go and take conventional jobs. I, as you know, struggled with um, maintaining my own sustenance, my own finances, I kept just saying, no, just stay in participation, you know, don't do the thing you've been good with. For so, so some of this deeply transformative ways of looking at what it is that for people to organize, how did people come just at the right minute, gave me, okay, I live another 30 days, you know, so people would see my work and, you know, 
this was very fascinating to me. Instead of like building this whole thing in a marketing program and doing all this stuff, how could I just see if, you know, is abundance real? It's a nice concept, right? But is it real? Can I just really, you know, with all the debt of the farm and stuff, can I really live on open participation? So this was very interesting. And um, anxiety, anxiety driving at the same time. But I was just committed to from, it doesn't make any sense if you don't try it yourself, right? So it's a theory or it's the work came out of that practice and out of doing a lot, a lot of research. So the work was originally this very big thing. So February of last year, like, that was I bottomed out in terms of financial collapse. I'd been out of work for almost four and a half years. I looked at what I had and I said, how is this going to live in the world? Like, believe me, it was a beautiful synthesis of many different streams of information. And I realized it wasn't. It wasn't going to live in the world. It was another Bonnie thing, you know, where people realize it's a work of genius or something, but no one understands it. So I sat in my room right across from where I am now, and I took a magic marker in my left hand, right? Not my right hand. You know why, right? Or no, yeah, my left hand, like this. And I had, yeah, my, so to get right brain thinking, right? So I had read a book in, by Google, and Google said that you could only think of five principles at the same time. And I said, what are the five principles? And I started writing like block letters like a kid. And that became the OPO playbook. That what are the five, like, what the hell are you talking about, right? And it has, it has changed since then in different ways because now we're almost a year later. And I did get uh, six months of funding at the end of last year, which helped me create more tools and, and more clarity around it. But that's how the, the whole thing started. And it's really now, so that was like the painful gestation period. But, you know, a lot of the applications, a lot of what is in the theory is still um, being reduced and made, made practical, right? So there's still a lot of this kind of, um, there's a lot more to introduce and so after the six months of last year that um, I helped establish Triaxium 9 and they're an independent company starting to, to set up OPOs, then I said, okay, now it was clear that Medium had become the place to start opening some of this knowledge. Now rewritten for, I mean, it's still a little difficult, you know, but rewritten for a larger audience. And so that, you know, that's just been in what those articles are less than three weeks old. So that's kind of the story. Yeah. So it sounds like you went from having this pain and anxiety and you managed to address it through that. Yeah. And, and it's reduced. I mean, it's not gone, but it's reduced significantly enough that you're able to like articulate and we can have this conversation around it. So, well, exactly. I mean, the, the possibility that it can live in the real world, then, gives you energy 
Well, I was there the day that you came home, and I remember how upset you were and how you had to – you were at the bottom, basically, emotionally. Yeah. And to see you now and where you're at, like what's come out of that is gorgeous. Frankly. You know, and this happened a couple of times because I think it was a year and a half ago or two years ago. It's hard to tell, right? But I got an offer to work with someone who has a very, very successful consulting business. And he saw me at a community event. And he said, I have to meet you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's an interesting person. He's done a lot of work. And he was 70 years old. And he was an intuitive leader. And he had this whole architecture of leadership that was quite beautiful. But he was not someone that was able to write and model his work. So I spent two days with him in dialogue. And then he offered me to work with him to write his swan song, basically, right? And I was just, I remember sitting there and I was so conflicted because I so needed the work, right? And yet it was going to birth his thing, which was cool, really old school, though. And And I just had to walk away from it, you know? And it was just like... You know, and there were other stories like that, but it it but just kind of keeping the faith, you know, and noticing these are my decisions. This is my dream and others' dreams, you know, and, and also knowing that I was trying to name something that wasn't me, but that was collectively in people's intuitions. So if I could name it pot properly, which is difficult then I could participate with more people. And I remember speaking with someone in, who really resonated with it. And I said, you know, if there's 20 of us, there's 20,000 of us. And if there's 20,000 of us, there's 200,000 of us. And if there's 200,000, we're cool. So then do you have clients that uh, hire you essentially to consult or to provide some services around OPO? Okay. So um, right now, I am in more of a teaching mode, and I have started. A, 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 I had started last year. Helped launch a company called Triaxium Nine, and they are like the channel that has clients, and they're setting up. They've setting up a constellation of tech companies as OPOs, and. I have other the clients in Europe who have clients that I'm partnering with to help build this knowledge base. So, um, and then I have a couple of people that I would consider my direct clients. But for me, it's more important to create a, a network of people where what I have to offer is passed on to people who already have a client base. You see, I mean, this is more my position is is a little more in a teacher trainer trainer role. How are you setting up your own organization or organizing or work? How are you setting up your own work as an OPO? Okay, so we set up the OPO with the initial launch company, right? So you see the language is different, right? Because I don't work for them. They don't work for me. We're in a strategic partnership as an OPO, 
See, very opt-in, very opt-out. Mm. But we set it up when we, we started. We set it up through the LPO methodology. What are the values, objectives, and performance? What is the core performance zones here? What are the network performance? What is the, uh, uh, you know, that's not on Medium. That's on other, other material that shows you how to set up an LPO. We're going to, you know, we have brochures. We're going to make that open source. So anyone can set up themselves up as an OPO. But we went through the process ourselves. We're um, working with the governance systems ourselves within our own own org relationship. Hmm. So um, then um, in terms of how I get clients, um, that, that, company that I helped launch those that partnership they already have many clients and network of clients and um, then people that I know have been business consultants and have leadership centers that have their clients and they're not interested in bringing some of this work into their own practices mm. so so the templates the, the you know the actual thinking is open sourced. Anybody can access it, can use it, can interact with it. But then, as far as the work that you, the way that the way that you make money, basically, and the, you know the economic flows, you you can act uh, as a as a consultant. People pay you to do that to help to to help an organization, a company, for example, like become uh, an open, open participatory organization. Yeah, so the templates, you know, um, a couple of people are have looked at them or read things on Medium, and they get back to me, and they're really, they're very intuitive. They've already thought a lot about this, except they don't have the templates and stuff. But other people, they need a lot of work in doing the paradigm shift. If you don't shift the paradigm, like some of the work we just did, it's really tough. Hmm. Like, like if you're if you have a big company or a relatively large company, let's say 50 people, and I ask you, okay, I want you to tell me what your company is, and I don't want you to mention roles at all. People don't know how to talk about companies without roles. So why does it matter? And then we can explain why it matters and why it makes you less agile. But so this is the type of consulting we do because you can make things open source, but people need a lot of support in truly making the switch to thinking in terms of, let's say, closed systems, systems thinking versus complex processes in human interactions. One is a abstract view. One is, let's stay with what's actually happening. One depends upon a systems thinking mentality. The other depends upon some of these ways of we learn to be transparent in communication with others mm. you know so um these are the ways in which um i show up and you know i have <clears throat> a first workshop in a retreat center in berlin um in Mar uh, april first week of april which will be the first formal workshop for people that are interested, and we're trying to build some larger uh, retreat-type workshops for people to immerse themselves into the into the work. Mm -hmm. 
So if, if people want to participate in these uh, offerings, how would they do so? Yeah, so I have a website that I think I said launched last night. And it's called appassociates.net. Did that show up? Mm-hmm. And um, if you, when you open the page, you'll see three tiles. If you click on learn, you can sign up for the learning community newsletter. Don't be surprised that there's not a lot of stuff that's going to come down your pipe yet because it's all very new. It's a nice sight. Beautiful image there. It's the cafe at the Louvre. Wouldn't it be nice if work felt like that? That's how I want work to feel. (laughs) That's why I put it there. Well, I want to say that this is this is a really useful conversation for me because part of you know what I'm trying to do with the theory of everybody uh, is to create something like an open participatory organization. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, don't want to have these artificial walls, uh, you know, between people uh, or between sort of the interiors of the organization and the exteriors or the different you know levels of it. Even though there are levels of it, you know, there are, you know, there's kind mm-hmm. of a core group of us that are actually making it happen, right? We're showing up every day, doing the work, organizing hangouts, organizing podcasts, mm-hmm. writing, etc. So, I mean, that's where, for me, there's a sense of commitment. Like, I'm, I'm not yeah. merely opting in, <laughs> uh, although in another sense I am. Uh, but, you know, uh, there, I recognize that there are always going to be different and fluid levels of of uh, commitment versus uh you know participation and uh and i like i want that because i want to cycle through as well you know i don't right. want to become a prisoner exactly. of my own uh structures exactly uh and if i feel that way you know i've spent my whole life avoiding uh organizations um and the, the except for like you know one notable occasion which was getting involved with integral institute and yeah. that was a uh, or, you know, that was a big thing, yeah. <laughs> a big it. <laughs> yeah, and it had more of a centralized paradigm, I think. Yeah. And, and so this is problematic because it was appealing to just that new way where that wasn't going to work anymore, right on the cusp between the two. Now, the paradigm of leaders, like if you're like obsessed with this vision you have, well, you're going to show up different than people that are going to help you along the way unless that transforms and then you might take a back seat. But to be open to that, the natural rhythm of this was the typical entrepreneur has this experience of having to lead the helm and then is... and goes way beyond it and then starts to actually resent employees who could come in and enjoy their lives because the asymmetry of needs was what it was. I'm going to almost go bankrupt in five years of doing this, but I, I don't, I want people just to come in and enjoy. And, you know, that was one of the things I loved best about the company I used to work for. You know, we hired marginally legal, illegal aliens from Ecuador, and they bought 
three, four hundred thousand dollar houses because doing what they knew how to do and try to make it real for them and just and not to begrudge them, not to work past, you know, the extra burden of the founder. You know, this is founder syndrome because of this sense of commitment that their values are going to be different and to just honor that and let, you know, it's the asymmetry of the values that are operating with you and your needs and somebody else. That's going to be part of your experience. Yeah. Well, you try to lock somebody else in, you know, which is sort of the marketing mentality is you try to kind of hook somebody in, you know, you try to capture them, you capture a lead, you know, uh, and then you, you know, guide them through the funnel, like into your, into your product. Um, you, you try to lock somebody else in, but you end up locking yourself in. Ultimately. Exactly. And so now you can develop sensitivity for how people have been locked in for time immemorial. And without the internet and without these tools, we wouldn't have a chance to explore these new ways of being. So it's all timely just now, mm-hmm. right? And so to honor that also, that this is natural rhythm of human organization through time. And it's not going to change because I wrote a manifesto. I wrote a manifesto because it's, it's changing. Yeah. I just, I just noticed. Infinite Conversations is a project of A Theory of Everybody, a platform for social poetics and planetary thought. In addition to this podcast and podcast network, we're also working on a number of other projects, including an online journal of consciousness and culture called Metapsychosis, an unusually hardcore book club called Lit Geeks, and a discussion hub tying these all together at infiniteconversations.com, where you can join the conversation. We offer all this freely in the spirit of the gift, you can learn more and support our work at theoryofeverybody.com. Once again, this is Marco V. Morelli. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.